my friends. Welcome to Passion and Potential. For today's episode, I have an absolute incredible guest. She's passionate. She's unapologetically authentic and truly just such a powerful and inspiring woman. We'll be talking about her journey through domestic violence, the process of finding herself through that hardship and all that pain, and how she combined her passion for helping others into a career that advocates for domestic abuse. So Jess, thank you so, so much for being here. I am so excited that you'll be sharing your story and all that vulnerability that comes with it. Um, I obviously gave a little bit of an intro for you, but I don't think that even remotely does you justice. So go ahead and introduce yourself and just share some things that led us into your world and your story. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for that introduction. And thank you very much for having me join your podcast. I'm really honored to be able to be here. Um, I am a domestic violence survivor. I am also a mama of four now, which is crazy because my kids are 16 is my oldest daughter. I have a 14 year old son, an eight year old son. And then our newest addition is four months old, Miss Eden Sue. It's kind of crazy to say mama four because I was used to mama three for so long. I'm also a fiance, which is really exciting. Um, We are getting married in August of this year. It's been a long time coming to be able to find him. So it's been a journey over 10 plus years to get to the place that I'm at now. But man, as crazy as it sounds, I'm really thankful for all of the trauma and all of the hardship, because it has led me to an incredible place that I'm now able to use my story and my voice to help other people. That's such a positive way to look at that. I feel like it's very um, easy to go the bitter route (laughs) and just be like, wow, this crappy thing happened to me and I hate life. Well, and I definitely lived that for a moment. That's what I always remind people when I come in contact with anyone, even if it's not a domestic violence survivor or someone in an abusive situation right now, it took me a hot minute to be able to become like the Jess in front of you. I was bitter. I was angry. I chose to continue to be a victim even after I had left him and I was physically out of that situation in a pity party sense. It was like, well, this isn't fair. Why me? I loved him. I did all the right things it's hard to work your way out of that. So it doesn't happen overnight. I, it took a really long time and a lot of work to be able to look at things in a different perspective. I just feel like that's such a like tough compromise. Cause in one aspect, you want to be like kind to yourself and show yourself grace and, you know, give yourself that love that you obviously didn't get from that person. But then in another aspect, you're like, well, I can't enable myself at some point. I have to do the healing. And absolutely. And You know, that's part of the reason I really like to share and reach out to people and talk to people because sometimes you are not enough of a push for yourself or there's not people in your life and in your circle who are willing or able or maybe have the right tools to be that push for you. But by talking to someone else, and I'll just warn anyone out there, if you do reach out to me, I mean, I love talking to people. I really, really do. But I'm I'm pretty honest because it is just not glamorous specifically in terms of domestic violence, leaving is not easy. It's not simple. Healing after leaving a never ends. Like I said, I'm 10 plus years out. I was, I married my ex-husband in 2007, left him in 2007 as well. Our relationship was really bad before, during, and after the marriage, but it's, it takes time. The healing never stops. And it's, significant amount of work. So I never like to tell people, oh my gosh, look at me. Like 
happily ever after now. I'm so in love and so blessed and you can do it too. I, I mean, you can. Positive things are out there for everyone. And that's why choosing hope is so important. However, it's hard. It's really hard to get there. So walk me through a little bit of that journey for you with your ex-husband. So were you guys together a long time? And then it started later on. Did it start from the beginning? Was there warning signs? Like, How did that even happen? I love that you asked me this. So, you know, there, there wasn't really warning signs until there was, which I feel is kind of typical. Um, I met him really young at 18 years old. I had moved out of, I'm the only child. I went to Catholic school for 12 years. I was definitely kind of naive and sheltered. I grew up in somewhat of a small town and he was a little bit of like the bad guy from the other side of the track. So I was like, well, this is great. My parents will love him so much. It was a little bit of rebellion, I think, because I didn't choose to go the college route. And my mom was actually very, very sick um, when we met. So I was just being kind of a butthead, but it was great in the beginning. He showed me a lot of attention at a time when I felt really alone and scared, which is, I was like the, uh, on a silver platter for anyone that had that narcissistic abusive trait. You could have molded me and done whatever you wanted because I was just looking to connect with somebody. Um, the abuse actually started after I was pregnant. So we were different, but it was like, I thought a good, different balancing each other out in that kind of way. And I was maybe three or four months pregnant. It wasn't anything catastrophic, but I knew in that moment it it was wrong. And I was taken back and pretty shaken up and okay, well, I have to say something. I was raised better than this. What do I do? And then we never talked about it again. Of course it was not brought up. So, and we actually, at the time were living with his father and I went back and I remember bringing it up to his dad and he was like, well, you know, you look okay. So, and I was like, okay, well, he's right. I'm like, I'm not bleeding. I'm not broken from that moment on you're It's almost like a defense mechanism of teaching yourself to minimize and diminish some of that stuff. And I kind of thought, well, maybe I'm crazy. I must be over exaggerating. Gaslit yourself. Yes, absolutely. And I wasn't crazy and it didn't get any better. Um, By the time we were expecting our second child about 19 months later, that's when I really got nervous. When we found out we were pregnant when I was 19, I was still excited because I wanted to be a mom very badly. And I knew that she was just meant to be mine. But by the time our son was coming around, I knew who he was. I had seen this side of him that was really frightening. And I wasn't sure how that was going to work with two kids or what that was going to do to him. But I married him anyway, because again, being raised Catholic, divorce wasn't really in my vocabulary. I'm going to make it work. I will love him enough and I will be the best wife and the best mommy and the best housekeeper And eventually he just won't feel the need to do these things. And unfortunately, once we got married, which happens a lot, it's kind of that golden ticket. It's for better or for worse. So what are you going to do now? And he would tell me that, well, it's for better or for worse. This is the worst, Jess. Like, where are you going to go with two kids? You don't have a career. Um, They point and pick at those biggest insecurities. So once we got married, things went from bad to just a nightmare. And it's, crazy when I share with people, we were married in July of 2007. 
And I left him in November of 07. Wow. So we were together for about four and a half years in total. However, it got so bad once we got married, there was just no way that I would have been able to stay any longer. If it weren't for my kids, they woke me up. They were my bigger reason aside from myself to really understand it's not just about me. And even if it's not happening to them now when they're old enough to challenge him and my daughter has my attitude, um, what will happen then? What will happen and how can I protect them? And even if it's not physically happening to them, they're in the middle of our physical arguments at this point. And that is not at all healthy. That's not what I want for my children. So we did leave. And usually it takes about seven times for anybody to think about, try to actually leave an abusive situation and stay gone. I don't really know what the difference was for me internally. I'm just extraordinarily stubborn. And I think that's part of why I stayed through the abuse, being pregnant and all of these things and demanded to marry him. But once I decided to leave, I was done. There was nothing he could have said or changed or acted like to get me to go back into that house. Nothing. It wasn't simple. I had $67. I did not have a college degree. I, I mean, I had to go to a counselor before I was like, I needed people to confirm that this was probably not normal behavior. And they taught me and informed me how to like get on food stamps. How do I get health insurance for my kids? How can I find different assistance programs? So at that point, it was just, please lead me blindly through this situation that I know nothing about. And I'm checking off boxes and we found a place. Great. Applied for assistance. Perfect. And we're gone. And there was no turning back at that point. So when you, I know, like you said, it takes um, a lot of times for survivors to get out. It takes like seven times you mentioned when you did um, was, how did he handle that? Was it like retaliation was, or was it just like yeah. you hand, you did it in such a clean cut way that somehow he was, he didn't have an opportunity oh, gosh. to hurt you again? No, you know, he did have opportunities and he actually, the only time I ever filed a police report against him for being physically abusive was after I left. Wow. Um, thankfully I had a, a fantastic group of kind of coworkers and friends at the time. And when they found out what was going on, they were like, yeah, no way. I actually, at this point, I had kind of decided I should probably leave. And I had told him, so listen, this might not be working. The kids and I are going to go, but like, best of luck to you. We can stay married, I guess, like work on yourself. We're just going to get, I mean, it was really a genius plan. Uh, I mean, no, he was not happy. We left like thieves in the night with trash bags. I didn't take like my bed or a sofa or I mean, materialistic things that weren't the end of the world, but he showed up somehow. He found out where we were moving and he did show up. Thank goodness. People were there. The police of course came and all he wanted was a flat screen TV. That's it. He didn't yell about the kids. (laughs) Right. I'm in the garage, like in the fetal position, freaking out about what's going to happen because that's your fear. That's how they kind of program you. I'll take the kids from you. You'll never be able to see them again. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, okay, the cops are here. They're going to make me hand over my children to this man. He didn't care one bit. He just wanted the television. So of course, after the fact, he didn't like that I had stood up to him. He showed up at my apartment. He broke into my apartment. Um, We were 
kind of co-parenting. He didn't have a huge interest in seeing them, but the one time he did, I had dropped the kids off for him to watch them. And I noticed that there was a woman there who then became his second wife. And I, I mean, I was a snot about it, quite honestly. I was like, no, this is not happening. If you want to see your kids, she cannot be here. And I'm yelling up to her. I hope, you know, he's still married. <laughs> like, it's not helpful. It's not helpful. And I pick up, I'll never forget it, her red peacoat. And I go to put it by the door. I'm like, okay, well, this is here when she's ready to go. And then he reached through the doorway and started choking me with the kids right in between us. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And unfortunately at that point, our daughter was about four and she, she remembered it. Um, yeah. And after the fact, she would tell people, even at the grocery store, I mean, strangers anywhere, Hey, my daddy did this to my mom and kind of physically describe it. The police were called. He was arrested. He was charged with domestic violence. And what's really interesting is he, I didn't know it. When I first met him, he had recently gotten out of prison. So he was a felon. Um, I found this out after we were married. So when he was later charged with domestic violence, even though he had previous felonies and convictions, it didn't matter because they weren't crimes of violence. So it was basically dismissed. I mean, it got pled down to a disorderly conduct. He paid $50 and walked out of the courthouse that day with absolutely no consequences at all. So at this point in time, Jess, how old were you when all this was happening? Like even when uh, your daughter was four and you finally were getting out. Yeah, I was 22, 23, almost 23. Yeah. My kids, I was a baby. My kids were in diapers. I was, when I think now I'm 35, looking back then or now, you know, meeting people of that age and I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, that's what it's like to kind of be a normal, quote unquote, 21 or 22 year old. I was in such a different world. I grew up really, really quickly in those couple of years. So one thing that we um, talk a lot about on this podcast, especially with the guests that I have on, is just this whole process of finding yourself and um, finding your passions. And a lot of times I've noticed with people, they end up doing that and they're like, mid to late twenties. And that's probably because like your younger twenties, you know, you're in college, you're partying, you're doing stuff. You were married and had kids and you were getting out of an abusive relation marriage. So your version of finding yourself was completely different. Like what did that look like for you to not only be coming out of such a traumatic situation, but now you're out in the world. Like, did you have any sense of identity? (laughs) No, No, that's what was crazy. I didn't know who you have no idea who you are anymore because for so many years you're told the grass is not green. It's orange. The sky is not blue. It's Brown. You don't have any idea what's right and wrong anymore. And even the thought of potentially getting back into the dating scene, because I was very young, a, you know, having come out of that kind of marriage where it wasn't just physical abuse, it was emotional and sexual and spiritual abuse, trusting a man again, was a really interesting thought. And I feel like even without all of that, at that age, you're still trying to figure out who the heck you are. So it took, I mean, it took years. I feel really almost 10 years before I kind of discovered who I really was. There were, there were pieces of it and I could feel it like bubbling up, but we were still in self-preservation mode. That's part of what I don't share a ton about 
um, with domestic violence or having left is I left him. I did the right thing. I said, no, we're getting divorced. This is not okay. But I couldn't prove the abuse. And we had kids. So we had to co-parent. I had to separate me as Jess, really not hating this man who did monstrous, unforgivable things to me and find some way to do what the courts were demanding I do for the better of our children and get along with them. So I I feel, go for it. Yeah. I, I think I was just in defensive mode for literally a decade because you're spending a ton of money battling back and forth in court. And then I'm trying to protect my children. So you're documenting everything and taking notes of all these behaviors and bruises and marks and conversations. There was no time to be like, okay, what about me? Who am I? What do I want to do? It was, I have to make money to keep the lights on because sometimes that wasn't possible. And I would tell my young kids, oh my gosh, yeah, we get to camp out in the living room with candles tonight. That's so exciting because I couldn't afford to keep electricity on. Um, But about 10 years after he was finally arrested and sentenced to 20 years in prison because he almost killed his second wife. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's, you know, that whole situation, I, I thought I was healed. I thought I had grown. I thought I knew who I was. I was in a different relationship at the time with, I call him my good on paper guy. Um, (laughs) He just checked all of like the stability boxes, job, career, family. So not right for me, not God's timing, not the person I was meant to be with, but I was like, okay, well we can, this is great. He's gone. We're safe. But I realized I was not healed and it brought everything back to the surface. (laughs) It was. And you know, what was for the year that his trial went on and the sentencing, this woman that I had been programmed to hate now was my greatest ally. And we spoke every single day. We compared notes and stories and everything. And it was therapeutic. I could finally work through because it wasn't just living with him when we were married through that abuse. It was the 10 years after watching my kids suffer, him knowing he had control of me. All of that is still abusive behavior. I really couldn't get out of it for about 14 years. So then I discovered, okay, this is a different feeling. I don't have to worry about certain things anymore. I now have sole permanent custody of both of my children. I never have to go back to court and fight for the right to be their mother again. And wait a minute. I think that I could maybe talk about my story because other people might be able to identify with it just like his second wife did. And after that, it's been about four years. I, you, can't, you can't shut me up now because the power that has come from that one little choice I actually got on the internet on Facebook live. And I cried like inaudible, couldn't even understand what was really coming out, but I was offered an opportunity to sit on the board for a domestic violence nonprofit. And then I started to find myself. Then I realized, okay, this was the purpose to all of that pain for all those years. It's like when you finally weren't just surviving and just trying to literally get through life and being a mother and an ex-wife still being controlled by her ex-husband, then you got to finally focus on you, which that's, that is insane. Like most people just have to find themselves because that's a journey. And you literally had to find yourself through trauma and then another layer and another layer. 
Yes. And you know, that's what's interesting. And I, I just was speaking at an event um, with moms the other day. And I said, you know, trying to heal yourself while healing little humans that you're totally responsible for. It's a selfish feeling, but it's so necessary. It's really necessary. And it, it's an added layer. Nothing with domestic violence. It's not how most people think. Okay, well, if someone does something bad to you, you call the police, they get arrested, they're gone, and it just, everybody's safe and okay. There are always all of these layers and this ripple effect because A, it doesn't affect just me or my kids. It affects my parents and my friends and his family. And then flash forward to now when my children are 16 and 14, you know, they're navigating through all of their own emotions with their dad and things that they had to go through. And what does that relationship look like with their dad? Because yes, he has done really horrendous things, but he's still their dad. And that's hard. You're just, yeah, I feel like you're constantly in a state of compromise (laughs) and confliction. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And that for me right now in present day, I mean, I've come such a long way and I'm so I really am thankful for everything that I learned from that because now I'm engaged to this wonderful man and our little Eden has completed our family, but I, and I wouldn't be the Jess that I am who's worthy of his love had I not gone through those things, but holy cow, it is very conflicting to be a 35 year old woman who wants to celebrate and yell it from the rooftops that this man who did all these things to me is finally away for two decades. And then on the flip side, As a mom, my heart breaks because my kids have lost, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, they don't have that now. And how do I put my big girl panties on and figure out how to be there for them when I don't want to hear his voice? I don't want them to go potentially see him. I don't want to talk about happy memories sometimes. Um, So it's, it's very, that's our interesting journey at this moment is trying to navigate all of that and what it looks like and it will never end but it's part of the journey um so i'm curious when after you know the the initial like he finally gets put in prison you know you're probably validated a little bit through that even though it was to his ex-wife but you know yes recognition that he is a bad man um What were some of the steps you took? Because you mentioned that after that, you kind of finally were allowed to work on finding yourself. And it wasn't just about protecting yourself and the kids. What were some of the steps you took to just navigate this whole new life, I suppose, right? Yes. (laughs) You had freedom finally. So like, obviously you started sharing your story. So that's one layer. But what are some of the other things that you did and um, just kind of, actionable things that you went through until absolutely I think taking your voice back is huge because silence being silenced is another form of abuse uh, that a lot of people will never be able to get out of because their abuser is still very much a part of their life or not in prison um, and they have that fear of what if I speak up what's going to happen being empowered to use your voice and own your truth was huge self-development We're not taught, I mean, we're taught ABCs and one, two, threes, but self-development was major and realizing there are all of these tools out there to help me invest back in myself and stop living in fear. I know we 
as I feel like as a society or especially kind of in the self-development world, uh, we address fears a lot and what those are and let's release them. And I like to try and challenge people to not focus on the fear, to just as a whole, release it. What do you want now? And that's, I had hard conversations with myself. Well, I could go through that fear for the rest of my life and I probably always will. Some of that is just never going to leave me. So am I going to constantly kind of pick it apart and work on it to identify that these awful things happened? Or what do I want? What can I do from this point on that has nothing to do with being muffled anymore? And I think you have to figure out exactly what that looks like individually. But there, part of it for me was reaching out to other people in the domestic violence advocacy world, especially having been given an opportunity to sit on a board, seeing tangible ways that I, as now a survivor, could give back to others who were in the exact same situation that I used to be in. That's not for everybody, but you have to do a little self-discovery, whether it's, I really want to go on a health and fitness weight loss journey for me, then you do that. You have to have small little positive, tangible goals that you can set for yourself to start allowing the celebration of your achievements again, because it's hard for, and I was just thinking about this the other day. It's really hard for us to just celebrate survival. We want to celebrate a huge income or buying a fancy car, these big milestones in life, but allow yourself to celebrate being a survivor to have gone through all of this trauma and chaos. And you're on the other side. And part of that has to do with you sharing it. I don't care if you do it publicly. I don't care if you do it with your friends. I don't care if you do it at confession in church. I really encourage and empower anybody who has gone through that kind of, you have to talk. You have to talk and get it out of your system. In whatever way works for you, that is the only way that you can really move through it and kind of get to the other side where the options are truly, truly endless. I would venture to say that that's really how you deal with all you know, trauma or your emotions is if you don't accept it and talk about it, like at some point, yeah, I feel like talking about it is the first step to accepting it that this did happen. And because it's very easy to suppress, right? Yes. Did you ever? Suppress? Yeah. And then there's the weak, it's like embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Talk it through and own it. Own it. Like be proud. I am proud to shout from the world that I'm a domestic violence survivor. I'm not a victim. I'm not, I'm a survivor now. I made it through. I will tell anybody. I'm not ashamed. It was nothing I did. And that can be with a toxic friendship, you know, an awful work environment, something that just wasn't healthy for you. We have to stop a society making people feel shameful when they go through trials and tribulations. You're going through it. Everybody has a story. Everybody has struggles. And you need to be able to find those people that will help build you up. And if you don't shout about it and celebrate yourself, then you don't allow anybody else the opportunity to do that for you as well. You can't find your people again. And how was your, I, how was your mental health through all this, Jess? Like, how were you able to not just fall into a deep depression and, and maybe you did, but how did you ha- navigate mental health? Because like you said, you were a mom. So you also were trying to be strong for little kids. Like you didn't yes. get to 
do all the intense work solely on yourself and go on a meditation journey. <laughs> like you didn't get to go to a right. and Like, how did you handle your mental health? Oh my gosh. Um, I didn't for a long time. I really didn't. I think I walked around in the state of just like zombiehood and depression for a long time. I, you know, I'm a huge advocate for therapy. Huge. I don't in any kind of form, if, whether it's in person and you're sitting on the sofa, like most people picture it, whether it's hot yoga, well, I mean, anything, we have so many virtual resources. Now I needed someone that could help me navigate my way through those feelings and also hold me accountable because there's ownership that can be taken. Nobody, you know, no one deserves necessarily what I went through ever, ever, ever how, but there are things I could have done differently after I left. Um, there are ways I could improve my life that I have to take ownership of. So that was important for me. And I think, honestly, a lot of it for me was my children. I don't, I've said it before and I will say it forever. I wouldn't be here without them. I don't know how bad the depression would have gotten if I had no choice but to wake up every day and put one foot in front of the other and be their mom. That was my bigger reason. And if you're not a mom, I don't know, maybe you need to have, find that bigger reason. What is the big purpose for you to really exist outside of yourself? And so um, your kids whole heart gave you all the purpose. I'm curious, what are some other things that you find purpose in? Just life, you know, like what are some of your other? Yes. Purposes? Oh my gosh. I don't even know. I'm what do I have passion for? I love talking to people. I love having the opportunity to share my story in a public way. And what has been really incredible is I have started a career kind of in network marketing and in sales, and it's connected me with so many individuals. And it's shown me really how to use my voice through the power of sales, which seems really small and trivial, but it has empowered me to take those big risks. And I like being able to connect with others. I like being able to hear what other people want to achieve and listen to their roadblocks and help work through them, whether it's domestic violence or not. There are, it's applicable in so many different ways. And I mean, things as simple as I, I feel like maybe through the past two years, I'm like a real big homebody now. I love that I have worked really hard to have this home that I can take care of and manage for my family. And I want to be here and be a part of it. And like, it could be a little bit to do with my oldest is now 16 and it's like freaking me out that in two years she could be out of the house. So I just want to soak up the time with the littles and I'm really appreciative that now I have a family with my fiance. I have this structure that I feel like I've been chasing since I was 19 years old and he comes from a huge family and I'm the only child. So now I have sisters-in-laws and brothers and, and cousins and nieces and like coming out the woodwork that is a that that makes all the difference for me because at the end of the day those that family sometimes is all that you have that's the most important thing you love people you love people. I love people <laughs> yep. oh my gosh I'm like all right let me summarize so family kids never writing your voice people <laughs> I love people I love I connecting too. with people I love being able to help and be helped. I am just, it's people sometimes laugh at me, but on my Instagram, I, I am a storyteller. 
I love to help through the power of stories. And recently I, I like to stir things up a little bit in the advocacy world. Ooh. I like to hear <laughs> where our system is flawed, where things could improve and speak on it, you know, in a, in a position that other people, maybe we've been silent for too long. And just because this is the way the world has always worked, doesn't mean that it's acceptable or doesn't need to change. So I've been trying, I feel a little bit of a responsibility through what I've gone through, especially because he is behind bars. Um, I feel a responsibility to take on some of that for other people who are not able to do that for themselves right now. What a journey. Like this is not that 22 year old girl, (laughs) right? No. Yeah. Very different. Can you even imagine being faced with her? No, no, I can't. And you know. I started an organization called I Choose Hope, and we give back to domestic violence victims and their families in times of emergency uh, relocation. And that's really what I was thinking of when I, I took a beat after I'd been on the board and we, the deaths from the trial and all of these things had settled and I started, okay, talking and sharing. And I'm like, but wait, there's gotta be more. Like, how can I be a part of actual real time change what would I have needed back then? And I really thought of me. I, I need someone 10, 15, 20 years down the road who has walked the walk and talked the talk and put in the work. And I don't have to explain it to them. They just get it. And that's really kind of how I Choose Hope was created because sometimes it's not needing or wanting to be in a shelter or you know, needing hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's, okay, I think I have this place, but it's not ready until this day. I need a hotel that's secure and safe, or I found this place, but I'm kind of short for the first month's deposit or secure. Those things matter. And it's not always these huge astronomical tasks, but that, that can make or break someone's ability to get out of a a bad situation. That and having the ear of somebody that's not like a recorded voice on a hotline number that just is checking off boxes and answering the questions in the way they were trained to answer them. So tell me about starting this, because, I mean, that is essential. That is a business. You know what I mean? Like, you have to to market it. You have to prepare. You have to connect. So first of all, how did you initially launch it? And I guess kind of start to get the word out. Uh, What did that look like? And what was your initial steps of, okay, I'm doing the thing? I spoke with a couple of the people with the nonprofit Domestic Violence Project Incorporated that I'm on the board with. And I said, hey, I think I have this idea and I really think it could be great, but I don't know if I can operate it completely on my own. So it started kind of as another service through their nonprofit and what they did. And then I said, you know what? I've done a lot of research on nonprofits and shelters throughout the country. And this is how they all run. And it's very similar And we still have these gaps in funding and assistance that we cannot meet. And we all do things the same way. You have big fundraisers, you send out annual campaign letters, but like I shared my story on social media and it went really well. So I'm just going to use social media. And it started just like that. I went and did a Facebook live. I'm sorry. Any noises in the background? My little four month old might be up. Um, if you need to take a break, you can, (laughs) no, you're okay. Um, 
I started and did a Facebook live because we had a family in need. And then I just asked people for help. I knew what I needed. I knew what I kind of wanted to do. I assigned direct dollar amounts with things that we needed. And within seconds, minutes, people were pledging in the comments, I'll do one hotel night. I'll cover groceries. I want to help with an Uber. And since then, we have found this incredible, almost niche where donors and supporters of nonprofits, specifically domestic violence, obviously with what we do, they like to see things play out in real time. They want to be a part of the change because so often we just ask people, hey, this is a great cause and it's a wonderful mission. Give me all the money that you got and I promise it's going to go to great people. And don't get me wrong, there's still value in that and you need that. Um, but I just felt like the system was broken. So I have made incredible connections through social media. And I have a great Rolodex of people who will hold individual fundraisers, who will just give, who maybe have estate sales, who maybe work in real estate and can help with rent or people in the hotel industry, other nonprofits, because that's always a thing that we can do better at is working with each other. If I don't have a way to help you, I don't ever want to turn somebody away and just say, good luck, my bad, so sorry. I want to direct them towards somebody else. But the power of social media has been incredible. I know it gets a bad rap and there are a lot of nasty people out there, but I'm telling you what, it, there's a lot, we have helped a lot of people. You can focus on the bad eggs, but there's also a lot of good that can come from social media. And I feel like, of course, uh, it's hard to think that way when you're scrolling through and your timeline is flooded, but there is so much good. And I think that's, I think that is so cool that one, your love of people has just come full circle. <laughs> like it went into your passion for helping people, but then through your just like connections on social media, because you love to connect with people that now social media is the main, you know, kind of like driver in terms of getting help for your cause. It's really wild when you think about it. Yeah. And I don't, it's not really done in the nonprofit world. Like I, Everyone does reels and TikToks. So I like to try and use them to share my story. And I did one and I shared it and we're at like 10 million plus views. Wow. Which is mind blowing to me because I'm just me, but the amount of people I am reaching that I can connect with. And it really, sometimes it's just a conversation. People just want to have a conversation. They want to be heard and validated and that's it. Not everybody is reaching out because, oh my gosh, I need, I need money or I need to move or I need this big thing. They just want, they see your face on social media. You're not behind a phone. They can look at my page and see my family and hear more of my story and understand like I've, I've actually been there. I'm not just saying it. And that has been pretty magical. You know what? Another thing that, um, came to mind when I was thinking about the full circle and everything connecting is it also your vulnerability. So your willingness to one, share your story, but two, to go on Facebook, go on a live and share this topic that kind of can almost be taboo. People don't like to talk about it. And, and like you were saying, even like our criminal system, like domestic violence has a long way to go. And I think people shy away from sharing quote negative things online mm -hmm. because they want to look like they've got it all together and everything's perfect but your vulnerability 
made such an impact just by you sharing your story on a live that just snowballed into so much more opportunity for you. And, and I think that that's just also really incredible because you're not just showing up at conferences and sharing your story. You're going on social media and doing it and just really yeah. allowing yourself to like, when I introduce you very unapologetic, <laughs> you are who Absolutely. you are. <laughs> I am who I am. And you know, I'm not for everybody. And people, <laughs> some people I'm sure will be tell you that. Um, and I know that, but I okay. love me enough now. I'm so stoked about who I am. You don't have to love me. It's okay. Like I got lots of people that love me, myself included. It's good being, it's very cliche, but greatness really is sitting on the other side of your comfort zone. It just is. Whether you're putting yourself out there on social media, you're going to a support group, you're talking at your church, anywhere, being vulnerable about anything that you have gone through. You don't need to like be trained to be an expert in sharing your life's journey, your trauma. You just share it. And there's, oh, there's so much connection and beauty that comes out of being able to do that. It's scary. It's always messy. That's what I tell people. That's why I try and say, listen, my first live was like, it wasn't planned. I didn't have, (laughs) yo, like Kim Kardashian, ugly, just aggressive crying snot but I knew I knew that I had to do it and I knew that I had to get through it and I didn't care what people were going to say and then no one had anything negative to say that's really the fear of being vulnerable people are going to judge you hate you hate on you no I mean maybe but you don't hear it because all of the good and the support outweighs any of that isn't it funny how as adults, we still care what people think of us? Like, we're not in high school. Why do we care? <laughs> I know. I don't get it. Why? Because really I is. do it too. I'm like, well, and like, it's funny. Um, when you described yourself, you said unapologetic. And that was actually my word of the year last year. Because I used to really thought, and I was a people pleaser. And then I was like, this is my year. I am me. If you don't like me, I don't care. Like, and obviously in a good way, constructive way. But um, right. <laughs> I wasn't just walking around being a jerk. But Right. It was my most passionate self. And I allowed vulnerability and I stopped caring. Like if I'm too positive, maybe people will be annoyed with that. And I, I used to think that I was like, I can't put out these, you know, inspirational captions online. Cause then people are going to get, they're going to get annoyed with me and think I'm cheesy. I don't care if it helps a person. Right. A person. <laughs> and I'm sure you felt that way with crying on a live video. Like, Oh, great. People are seeing me crying. They're going to be like, Oh my gosh, this girl's crying on in, or on Facebook. <laughs> Yes. I always say purpose over perfection. So what is your purpose of crying on the internet? My purpose is to let people know you're not alone. There is hope in this really hopeless circumstance. I'm here. I was there. I'm, I will, I will be here for you. It doesn't have to be perfect. If it's too perfect, then it's inauthentic. It's then authentic. people are like, mm, no way. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, you said, you mentioned that eight, was it 10 million views or something? Yes. And you're like, it's just me. I'm like, but you know what? It's not just you because one, you are so many of those women. You, you're so relatable in that aspect, but also two, um, you did the thing that people are very scared to do, which is to yeah. share that story and to be vulnerable like that. So you took it a step above so that they could relate and hopefully get to something better for their life. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I hope so. I really hope so. That's what, and you know, 
that's part of the beauty now is I started sharing when maybe times weren't so yucky. Mm. I mean, weren't so great. Things were rough. I didn't have things figured out when he first went away. I didn't know what that was going to look like, how I was going to feel. And then all of these emotions were bubbling up for me. But now I've worked through that and my life is in a different place. And I get to share the happy. I get to share that I'm engaged and that we had a baby. And, you know, these are the things that we now get to celebrate together because I know a lot of times you're afraid to post or share negative stuff, Mm -hmm. but the negative is real. You're going to have both. So I feel I have the most incredible community on social media and it's because they've kind of come full circle with me. They've seen the lows in one way or another, and they've heard about them. And so now that I can be in at the highs, they are, they're like genuinely so aggressively happy for me because they know how far I've come. Uh, So I actually want to talk about those highs. So you mentioned that now you're engaged and you've allowed yourself to love and trust again. And I think if people, even if people aren't in a, an abusive relationship, just the idea of vulnerability in terms of trusting someone and allowing them into your heart and love is very difficult. Now add another layer of having abuse, whether it be mental, physical, emotional, that makes it another step harder. So how, what it, what was that like for you finally allowing someone in and trusting them? And did you have to get to a place of self-love and accept it? Like, what did you, what did you have to do to be able to trust a person to love you? Oh my gosh. Well, I had to go through another crappy relationship, uh, to be honest. I did. I went through, I thought that I had found the polar opposite of my abusive ex-husband. So this was great. And it's my happily ever after. And I'm going to talk about it all the time. And obviously it wasn't. And it was a huge learning experience for me. I learned that I still had to do work on me, that I was really trying to find validation and love for me from everybody, but me. So once that relationship amicably, you know, we're still friends. Of course, we co-parent our eight-year-old. We have a great amount of respect for one another. Once it changed to co-parenting and friendship, I was like, okay, again, who am I now? What do I get to do now? Because this clearly kind of isn't working. The person that I thought I was is not attracting the people that I really feel like I deserve and I want. So self, you hit the nail on the head, self-love. I had to get to a place where I loved myself so much and my life and my journey so much. I didn't need anybody. How'd you do that? I wanted someone. I don't you just day by day. Time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's really day by day and time. I prioritize myself, especially in terms of being a mom, or I think whether you're an entrepreneur, even for, for mamas, we just, women are, we feel like we have to be selfless all the time. Mm-hmm. And I learned I needed to be selfish in order to love myself. I had to be selfish. That meant putting different things first. You know, I didn't have to be at every single sporting event. I didn't have to be there every single night for homework because you know what? I was starting a career or getting a drink with a girlfriend, maybe getting my hair done, allowing yourself to have little things that just made you feel better. It really went a long way and whether it's materialistic or you know, I'm going to stay up a little bit later and sleep in a little bit longer or flip that, whichever. So I can do some devotional. So maybe I can sit down with my thoughts or listen to music or go for a run. I think actually, I mean, looking back, 
allowing myself to be selfish was huge. I always, huge. I always say that um, in order to love yourself and, into, and to find yourself, you have to be with yourself. Yes. By yourself. And that was something I came to terms with because I realized after every bad breakup, I would have this moment of like, I would embrace myself. And I was like, oh, this is who I want to be. Kind of like how you said, you're like, oh, well, this is who I am now. And then I would have such liberation. Mm-hmm. And then I would fall back into another relationship and I would lose sight of all of those things that I felt deeply about, or maybe I thought I did. And, and what it really came down to is I needed to be with myself and yes. understand me and learn to love me and all the things that make up my life. And yeah, you have to spend time with yourself. And like you said, be a little bit selfish. Yeah. And I think part of being that like authentic, vulnerable version of vulnerable version of yourself, because in my previous relationship, me being a domestic violence survivor was not celebrated. It was definitely kind of frowned upon or minimized, wildly minimized. So being able to come out of that and really take ownership of it and celebrate it and not be afraid of who I am, that I am loud. I am super quirky and really cheesy that I'm never going to be a five foot three little petite person. I am tall. I am not a size two and I love how I look and I love who I am. And I am a survivor of domestic violence. And so are my two oldest children. And some nights I would prefer to stay home with my kids and annoy the crap out of them doing dance parties in the living room that they want nothing to be to do with and watch Netflix. <laughs> like I don't have to be out in the world because I'm a younger person drinking at the bars and fitting into a circle that is not who I am. So selfishness was major and just allowing my mistakes to not define me anymore. Whether it was my abusive marriage, wasn't my mistake, but it was a mistake in my life for sure. Didn't define me. It's part of my story. And it's part of my story that I've worked through. And I grew enough to where I knew I wanted to find love again. I knew I wanted to be married. My mom was the best mom and wife ever. And I knew I didn't grow up wanting to be an astronaut. I knew I wanted to grow up and be a mom and a wife like she was. But I had to get to a place where I did not need somebody else to fill that role. I, if, if they could, great, but you got to work for it. I'm not, I'm not an easy egg to crack. People... It's an interesting side effect of putting yourself out there on social media. Everyone feels like they really know you. And a lot of people really do, but to like, know me, know me (laughs) on the daily and be a part of my life, my inner circle's pretty small intentionally. So it takes a little bit of work and it takes a special person to kind of push through those barriers and show me that you're worthy of it. And from the very first date with my fiance, he was just as vulnerable as I was, which was crazy coming from a man and just as open and just as much of an individual and had been through pretty much the same things that I had been through. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So this is why I had to wait. This is why I had to go through. Yeah. And he lets me be me. Whoever, I don't care what kind of relationship you're in, friendship, romantic, same sex. I mean, anything. If you're partner and your people don't let you be exactly who you are they're not your people they're trying to mute you or push you down in order to build them up 
so not your people. I mean, it was interesting going through, I had a really rough pregnancy. Postpartum has been hard. Oh my. Um, she was a very big baby. I and for some pictures. reason, <laughs> 11 pounds, six ounces. We're just going to officially put that out there. She was a huge baby. So oh physically gosh. it was hard. And then for some reason, navigating baby number four has been really challenging. And I kept thinking, this is not my first rodeo. I'm about to be a mama four. I know what I'm doing. It's really been hard. And I, you lose yourself a little bit, but you have to in kind of survival mode. And now that I've been able to kind of get back to work and start talking and doing things like this, Kevin, what just the other day was like, Oh, there's a woman I fell there in love with. Is. He was selling, he was happy to see my like loud, obnoxious hands waving all over the place, doing what I did when he first met me. And that made me feel really, really good. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. That just the way that you're talking about this, you can just hear the genuine happiness. It's, you're not like, well, he's this, but he's this, you know, you're not like making excuses. You're just like, Hey, I love him. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Do I ever. And we're not perfect being new parents for us together in our relationship has been a little tough because we were used to having a lot of each other, you know, before it was, I would get a setter and it was he and I, and we love it. Like we're best friends. So we like to be able to do everything together. And now, you know, we love Eden, but it's hard to find that connection again. So we have to navigate that, but it's pretty amazing that I have a partner who actually wants to navigate it and work through it together. And like has a desire to push through the hard stuff because he loves me enough that he wants to just sit around and do nothing with me. That part's been pretty cool. And I would venture to say that he respects you. A lot. Yes. Yes. Which is not something I had felt. (laughs) And I think sometimes we just assume that, or I I used to in relationships. Well, if you're with me and you love me, surely you respect me and what I do and who I am, but that's not always a given. And to see it play out now that I'm a little bit older has been, I'm like, Oh, okay. So that's what that's really supposed to feel like. So Jess, you've done it all. You like your life has been just a roller coaster. Let's be honest. <laughs> yes. Your journey is still a roller coaster. Now, you know, you're a new mom and you're navigating that new phase of life. And I think that's what life is as a whole. We're always just learning and finding ourselves again and again and again. But what does life look like for you for this year and the next year? What are some of the things that you're really putting focus into? You're putting a lot of heart into obviously your organization, but is there any even small things? Oh, I, ever since I met Kevin, actually, I have been prioritizing my personal life. I've been prioritizing my ability to enjoy my kids and my family, not in a burden way, not in an, I'm a mom. So I've got to be the taxi. I want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy being in love with someone that I'm head over heels for. We're planning a wedding, which isn't small, but it's not career oriented, but I want to be able to soak in all of that and not feel badly for it. Not, not allow myself. It's really something I'm trying to do in 2022 that like mom guilt or even as an entrepreneur. Yes. Because you never turn it off. You just never do when you, when it's quite funny when people ask Kevin, like, so what does Jess really do? He's still like "Mm, a couple of things, (laughs) some stuff. She does stuff. And I kind of like that. But then 
I have really been trying to allow myself the grace to disconnect and be present in the moment. That has, that has, it's hard for me. It's really hard to not run through that list of things that I want to be accomplishing, especially because now timing is everything and things are very much aligning, um, such as I love the ability to be able to share my story through podcasts. And I, I want to be able to start my own podcast and I still trip over those words because it intimidates me, but I really, I know not think that it will be an incredible way to continue sharing my voice and empowering others to do the same and give them the opportunity to share their voice like you have for me. So that's, I'm very excited at that possibility for the next year. I can't wait for your podcast to come out. Like just talking to you on this is wonderful. And then watching your Instagram stories is wonderful. So I'm like, all right, give me more. <laughs> give me more. Instagram girl. stories are a hot mess. Oh my gosh. That's like the quickest way to get to know me probably is to watch my stories. Today I was trying to make a cup of coffee in an espresso machine and it took me like 20 minutes. I don't know what's wrong with me. I was trying, we're getting married. So, you know, I do, I'm in the health and wellness industry, not bodybuilding industry. Like I'm just trying to heal my body after the past couple years. And I'm like, okay, well, I have to put this thing in here and shake this up. And what is it going to taste like? But it's, it's the journey that I'm on right now. So it's, it's fun to be able to share it with people. All right. So Jess, I always end my podcast with a question along this um, or along these lines. So you're very passionate and you have found so much like, purpose for yourself and so much um, behind, you know, your story and your journey. And that aligns with your passions, right? Of helping people. What is your advice for someone who says they don't know what their passion is? Oh, mm-hmm. self-development. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah. I think you have to be willing to dig deep. You have to be willing to look at yourself in the mirror. Think back to when you were a little kid. What was your passion then? Where did that go? Okay. I mean, like if you wanted to be, I don't know, the first person to live on Mars, maybe we can make some adjustments. Okay. You're adventurous. We'll go with that. (laughs) What's the crux? Yeah. What's the crux of that? What does (laughs) translate that into adult terms? Why have you not pursued that? What has stopped you? What is still stopping you? I think you have to get out of your own way and not be afraid in order to find what that passion is. And sometimes in my opinion, a lot of your passions come from painful moments in your past. Look at that and work through it. Don't, it won't be fun necessarily reliving some of those moments, but how have you grown and how it's nothing is more beautiful than going through something really, really awful and icky and being able to have it come full circle and turn it into something different. And most of the time you can, you just have to, you have to be willing to put in that work and really reflect back. That is a spot on answer. And I love that. It's so fun to ask that question to people because every time they're like, Oh, especially because I get people on the podcast who obviously are passionate and they want to share their story. And then I'm like, well, what if you don't have one? They're like, Oh no. (laughs) So I love the answer that is so spot on. Um, okay. Well, Jess, thank you for sharing your story and all that and your vulnerability. Um, you are going to help so many people in life, people who are survivors, people who aren't just all in all. I think the fact that you're putting yourself out there into the world and showing your vulnerability and, you know, showing that people can really take power, like you said, of the things they're experiencing in life. That is 
incredible. So go ahead and give me all your deets, where people can find you, you know, where to find your organization. Easiest way to find me is on social media. Um, we are working on now a new website for I Choose Hope. So it'll be a one-stop shop for everything that you will need. But I am Jess, J-E-S-S-P-A-T-Z, both on Facebook and Instagram. You can find me at either place. I'm pretty intentional with my messages, or I try to be. Or on Facebook, you can find us at I Choose Hope, spelled exactly how it sounds. Um, we have a page over there and reach out anytime. Perfect. And then I'll also link your, um, your handle in the show notes too. Just make it easy for people. magnificent. Thank <laughs> I, you. I and thank you so much. So. I get it. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. I had to think back for a second. I was like, okay, am I going to say her name incorrectly? And I'm sure people ask you that all the time, but oh, I'm like, oh gosh. Panic, yeah. panic. No, Aristasia. So we're good. <laughs> See? Okay. I was right. Perfect. Okay. Well, Jess, thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh my gosh. Just how incredible is Jess um, from her story, her journey, her vulnerability. And I mean, her energy as a whole, I feel like I could talk to her all day, but I think it is so remarkable how Jess used that vulnerability on social media to turn it into a literal organization and business to help other people. And I think that's what we really just have to remember is social media is a place where a lot of people try and put out perfection. Um, and I get it. Like that's ingrained in us. It's ingrained in our society. But really putting out your vulnerability has so much opportunity opportunity to change someone's life. So her going on that Instagram live or Facebook live, I believe it was, and just crying her eyes out, ugly Kim K cry. Like she is now impacted so many people and turned it into a literal organization and business. So just keep that in mind. Um, your vulnerability can change someone and it can spark a wave across so many people that you don't even know. And you don't even have to be a domestic violence survivor. You don't have to be a trauma survivor. You could just have a unique story or something you're very passionate about and let the world into that and be vulnerable with that with you know the thought in mind that I could change someone's life so just really keep that in mind I hope this interview kind of sparks a little bit of fire in you that it's okay to not be perfect and especially okay to not be perfect on social media put yourself out there so if this episode helped you please by all means share it on social media share it with a friend. It would be so wonderful. You can find me on Instagram at Aristasia, at A-R-A-S-T-A-S-I-A. Be sure to tag me in the episode if you listen to it. You can join the Facebook group Passion and Potential. And then if you're on iTunes, I would love if you'd leave me a written review. It'll absolutely help grow the podcast and it'll grow this episode and grow the overall message that I'm really trying to put out into the world. So, that being said, till next time, my friends.